The following episode contains discussion of violence with some graphic detail. Twenty sixteen is coming to an end. And what a year it has been. In just a few days, 2017 will arrive. While it's usual to wish for the upcoming new year to be the best one yet, it's hard to imagine that will be the case with all that's going on in today's world. Where will current sociopolitical movements be? The new year is bound to bring new challenges, but digital media will be here to document it all. This podcast series focuses on the intersection of technology, activism, and politics. I'm your host, Amna, also known by some as Mango. Welcome to More Than a Hashtag. So here we are at episode number two. I just first want to thank everyone who has been sharing the Facebook page for this podcast and giving me feedback. I really, really appreciate all the support. This podcast is also now live on both iTunes and Google Play, so you can subscribe and not miss out on any future episodes. I also hope people have been enjoying the holidays, despite, well, everything. Now, Last episode, I covered some of the basics when it comes to looking at social and digital media within the realm of activism. If you haven't listened to it yet, it might be a good idea to do so, as it is an introduction to the series. After a lot of thought, I decided that for today's episode, we would look at how social media has effectively been used for negative purposes, as in the case of ISIS, as it is relevant at the time of this recording. One of my many frustrations with mass media is the tendency to latch onto the claim that ISIS declared responsibility for an attack, as they recently did regarding the attack in Berlin. The truth is, they'll claim responsibility for anything that makes them seem powerful in order to increase fear. After all, that's what terrorists do. In fact, ISIS released a video online recently that seems to show two captured Turkish soldiers being burnt alive. Turkey's government temporarily shut down social media sites in order to prevent its citizens from seeing the video. The posting of gruesome videos is nothing new for the terrorist group, or for terrorists in general. So what makes ISIS's use of graphic videos different? Yes, I know this isn't the happiest topic to be talking about, as we end this roller coaster of a year. But it's something I know people are curious about. Also, I uh, already had research on it, so it makes it a little easier for me. We want to examine the rising threat of online radicalization. Now, ISIS is one group using social media to spread its message. The FBI director is sounding the alarm about ISIS, saying the terror group is reaching deeper into America thanks to a disturbingly sophisticated social media campaign. Department this week, the FBI outlined the ways ISIS is using social media. This is a story about ISIS and how smart and savvy ISIS is being with social media. That 
these guys are out there. They are active in social media. You can find them. You can follow them. They have developed as a thing in here that they have fanboys mm -hmm. uh, in the West. This is a new generation of very sophisticated jihadi propaganda that's only emerged over the last several months. ISIS is using its cash and media-savvy Western militants to recruit and radicalize. The Islamic State of Iran and the Levant, ISIL, also known as the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, ISIS, is a terrorist group infamous for its ability to utilize the internet and social media for its own gain. For the rest of this podcast, I'm going to refer to them as Daesh, which is loosely from ISIS's Arabic name, and it's a term they're not too fond of. The terrorist group has been able to reach across borders and recruit young people to its cause through social media campaigns, utilizing digital interfaces not only for coordinating attacks, but for spreading propaganda that attracts thousands of recruits from around the world. Daesh gained its notoriety after publishing videos of beheadings, including one of American journalist James Foley, unapologetically beaming the videos out to social media platforms in a display of superiority and triumph. These videos were of above-average caliber, which differentiated Daesh's videos from those released by other terrorist groups, such as Al-Qaeda. They featured advanced cinematography, scripts, graphics, the works. The organization also created multiple Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram accounts and pages to spread propaganda, taking advantage of online social networks and trends in an attempt to recruit individuals from all around the globe. They've created a narrative that portrays Daesh as an agent of change, a champion of social justice, and a collection of avengers, bent on settling the accounts of the perceived sufferings of others. A closer look into their media strategy showcases Daesh's advanced understanding and use of digital technologies. They have a mobile app called the Dawn of Glad Tidings, or simply Dawn, which is Twitter-based, and it mimics Thunderclap, another application that's used by U.S. election campaigns. Users of Dawn are able to stay updated on Daesh while also allowing the group to post to users' Twitter accounts. Links, hashtags, and images can rapidly be spread without setting off Twitter's spam detectors. They also hijack hashtags in an effort to spread their message such as during the 2014 World Cup, where Daesh-affiliated accounts shared an image of a decapitated head with the caption, This is our football. It's made of skin. Hashtag World Cup. They create videos, tweets, and memes, not only in Arabic, but also in other languages such as English, French, and Russian to increase their reach influencing potential young recruits with pop culture references. Daesh's presence on social media is an interesting phenomenon, juxtaposing images of violence with harmless images of meals, cats, and its members just enjoying leisure time. Instagram accounts such as the Cats of Jihad even allow Daesh soldiers to post photos of their cats posing with guns. 
lifestyle images are tweeted, including one of a soldier proudly holding a jar of Nutella, despite an assault rifle strapped to him. At the same time, they post lengthy videos of executions with persuasive arguments to justify them, pointedly drawing connections between the West and other enemies of Daesh. Daesh even has a monthly English-language digital magazine titled Dabiq, filled with interviews, how-to articles, and discussion of politics and faith. Due to social media's ability for horizontal self-organization, Daesh benefits from allowing outsiders a controlled inside view while outwitting attempts to track individual soldiers. They also have their own news network, called Amak News. Daesh's presence on social media has been working, with reports indicating over 25,000 foreign fighters have joined the organization, with approximately 4,500 of those from Europe and North America. The average age of these new recruits from the West, according to a study conducted by the New America Foundation, is 24, meaning that these are youth who have grown up with social media. 24 was also the age of Anis Amri, the Berlin attacker. 24 is the age I am at the time of this recording. Daesh is taking advantage of young, disenfranchised youth and are succeeding at giving them a sense of purpose. Humera Khan, executive director of the Washington DC think tank Mufluhun, which means those who have cultivated their success, states that Daesh's use of social media is of little surprise in an interview for the MIT Technology Review in 2014. She said, quote, when you say terrorist use of social media, it sounds ominous. But when you look at it as youth use of social media, it becomes easier to understand. Of course they're using social media. They're doing the same thing youth are doing everywhere." End quote. Despite the morbid images and glorification of violence, Daesh is employing the same tactics that youth and other social movements and campaigns have developed, most predominantly that of what is called political jamming. Images, videos, and other content are subverted in satirical ways to engage potential recruits with political humor, all while using common internet slang. The content that Daesh produces and shares on social media attracts the attention of disaffected youth, the call to join in extremism portrayed in a manner that it is the only path to live a fulfilled life. One such image is one of US President Barack Obama, where his 2008 campaign slogan, Yes We Can, is superimposed on an image of him with the additional line, quote, dot dot dot, kill your children with drone strikes, end quote. Such an image could also be shared by those who are anti-war and against the U.S.'s extensive usage of drones, providing legitimacy to Daesh's recruiters who appeal to potential recruits with the narrative that the West is the true enemy. The thing is, social media is a double-edged sword. And like a true double-edged sword, Daesh's social media use can be used against itself and undermine the very narrative they've managed to construct. Although Daesh has, for the most part, 
enjoyed the attention received due to the rare inside look social media provides for the international community, there are those actively exploiting this facet. Raqqa is being slaughtered silently is the name of a Facebook page created by Abu Ibrahim al-Raqai, the pseudonym for an activist who has been documenting atrocities committed by Daesh on social media. Raqqa, Syria, has been declared Daesh's capital and is completely in the control of Daesh militants. Al-Raqqawi, along with other secret activists from inside Raqqa, have been sending images and videos to Turkey, where fellow activists then post on social media in an effort to expose the truth of Daesh and the conditions within their proclaimed utopia. Daesh has tried to shut down this initiative, from attempts at hacking websites to regulating checkpoints within Raqqa in order to randomly search cell phones and laptops to identify who is taking part. The US government has also taken some measures, though they've been widely deemed ineffective. In 2011, President Obama established the Center for Strategic Counterterrorism Communications with the Digital Outreach Team. The strategy was just sending a bunch of tweets out at Al-Qaeda supporters and essentially trolling them. Yes, the US government was trolling terrorists and their sympathizers. I wonder why that didn't work. Well, actually, Trolling can work, if done a certain way, by responding with humor instead of fear in order to destroy the narrative that Daesh has cultivated for itself. Daesh frames itself as a powerful, invincible force that will proudly participate in violence to advance their cause. Most international media has adopted this framing, perpetuating the image of fear and terror much to Daesh's satisfaction. When Daesh posted a video showing two Japanese hostages and demanding money from the Japanese government to release them, netizens in Japan decided to retaliate with ridicule. Within 12 hours of the video's release, Japanese Twitter users began posting and sharing photoshopped images from the video with the hashtag IsisCrappyCollageGrandPrix. One popular image was taking a still of the hostage situation and transforming it into a sushi eating contest, while another switched the heads so that it was the Japanese hostages in control and the Daesh soldiers the victims. And yet another photoshopped image had the two hostages and a soldier together wearing shirts that spelled out, we are the world. A message of peace. Although some criticized this lighthearted approach, Others defended it by stating it was better to react with laughter than with fear. In an effort to regain control of the situation, Daesh insurgents responded on social media, stating that the hostages would be killed. But Japanese social media users shrugged their shoulders. One tweeting, quote, Tomorrow will be sad, but it will pass, and ISIS will still be a big joke. You can't break our spirit. End quote. This public ridicule of Daesh was a blow to the terrorist group's ego and cool image, a key observation as the international community moves forward to combat Daesh and its influence. Although the United States and other countries have participated in counterterrorism measures online, from cyber attacks to hackathons, and 
just tweeting at terrorist supporters as mentioned earlier, there has been a lack of social media engagement to fight back at Daesh's social media presence. Ross Frenette of the Institute for Strategic, Strategic Dialogue led a study where former extremi- extremists cannot speak today were recruited to find at-risk youth on Facebook and engage them in conversation to discourage them from extremism. And the results were positive. He said, quote, Social media has assisted extremist causes, but there are many ways for us to push back using the same tools. We just haven't optimized that. We haven't pursued that. End quote. Affinis Labs, an incubator for startups, is trying to optimize and pursue social media to fight back against extremism. Similar to Fernet's study, Affinis Labs is developing an app called One to One, which will allow Muslim youth to connect with at-risk youth to steer them away from extremism, while another initiative titled Come Back to Us is hoping to build a digital underground railroad to assist those who left to join Daesh and now wish to return home after being exposed to the true nature of the terrorist organization. These initiatives will hopefully continue to develop as more and more people look to social media not only as a tool for communication, but a tool for mobilization and combating extremism. It should be clear by now that Daesh's use of the internet to further its cause is of no surprise in our digital age. And to those in the West who might still think, how can people be radicalized to join a terrorist group? You don't have to look far from home. Just look at the rising alt-right movement. Alt-right is a term made up by white supremacists and neo-Nazis in an attempt to rebrand themselves. They even made a fancy logo in an effort to be hip and trendy. The tactics Daesh has used and is using to recruit youth to terrorism is being used right here in the U.S. to recruit people to another kind of extremism. Shocker! Those radical Islamic terrorists your racist uncle keeps yelling about? He probably supports some uh, radical Christian terrorists. Extremists are extremists. Terrorists are terrorists. Even if they're white. Take the example of Dylan Roof, the man who entered a black church in Charleston, South Carolina, and opened fire, killing nine. In a 2,500-word manifesto, Dylan Roof detailed what led him to commit the act of domestic terrorism. He said what truly awakened him was the case of Trayvon Martin, as he was completely on the side that Zimmerman had done the right thing. Of course, this shows he already had a bias. But what stoked the flame? Dylan began searching black-on-white crime, 
which led him to various sites with false statistics and claims that a genocide was being wrought upon the white race. The more he read on these websites, the more he became convinced that minorities, that's immigrants, blacks, Jews, etc., were victimizing the white race. After all, everything he was reading, all of those apparent statistics and reports, made that seem to be the case. It's because of the online presence of white supremacists that Dylan became radicalized. It's times like these that I really wish we all did listen to our parents who said we shouldn't believe everything we read on the internet. But then again, looks like they failed to follow that advice too. The U.S. presidential election and its results have been scrutinized by all, but one of the main complaints has been that too much fake news was spread on social media without consequence. People weren't fact-checking, just clicking on any clickbait title that seemed to confirm what they already believed to be true. Along with that, the so-called alt-right movement grew and managed to get its spotlight in the media. And in Trump's White House with the pick of Steve Bannon, creator of Breitbart.com. I'm not even going to get into all of that right now. Okay, so we know that social media is being used by negative, negative forces, forces to further bring our world into a dystopia where fear and terror control all. But what can be done to stop it? What can be done to fight back? It's not going to be easy, and it's going to take media companies choosing good over profit. But these recruiting tactics of groups like Daesh and the modern KKK need to be brought back on them. We can't let it all be normalized, and those in the position to do so need to engage with those at risk of succumbing to extremist ideologies. There needs to be concrete methods in place to help those who manage to estrange themselves from these extremist circles. It's going to be up to developers, hackers, and coders to come up with innovative ways to fight back online. And it's going to be up to all of us to stop letting fear and hatred control us. I'm going to leave this episode here. I could talk about all of this for a really long time, but I'm still figuring out how long I want to make each of these episodes. I imagine you all can only stand listening for so long, right? So, for those of you listening when this comes out, I'm sorry for the heavy topic. I figured it was a good way to end this terrible year. If you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe on either iTunes or Google Play. Also, if you want, feel free to leave a review on either platform. It'll help a lot, and I appreciate all the feedback. If you have any questions or just want to get in touch, shoot me a message on the Facebook page. That's more than a hashtag. 
or shoot an email to mthpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks a lot for listening. I wish everyone a very happy new year and hope that you'll still be listening in 2017.